You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 852 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live on a Friday evening. And to take you behind the curtain of the podcast a little bit, this podcast was actually recorded a little bit ago. I got about five minutes in and then news broke. So here we are restarting the podcast. And the second half of it will be a discussion that I had with Brian Schroeder with regard to Obi Toppin and the NBA draft that was recorded previously. So no worries there. That's part of a larger conversation. But Brian's been gracious enough to give me a bunch of time talking about some NBA draft prospects in the recent past. That will be the second half of the show. But before we get to that, the news of the evening on Friday here at about 8.35 p.m. Eastern Time is that the Hawks have now been linked formally to adding, a, well, with the potential to add a uh, veteran head coach to the staff under Lloyd Pierce, with Mark Stein of the New York Times reporting that Nate McMillan, the former Pacers, Sonics, and Blazers head coach, is now uh, at least a possibility in Atlanta. The way that Stein phrased it was a, quote, potential landing spot, end quote, for Nate McMillan being with the Hawks under Lloyd Pierce. Um, for those of you that may not know this, McMillan was fired by the Pacers back in August, but he did a really good job, honestly, with the Pacers overall, at least in terms of success. He uh, had four seasons with Indiana in which they won 57% of their games, so they did, he did a pretty good job there. Prior to that, he was the head coach in Seattle for five years and the with the Blazers for more than six seasons, so obviously a veteran voice. Also, though, not a foregone conclusion that he joins the staff. He's been linked to the Houston Rockets as well, and honestly, on paper, Houston probably makes a little bit more sense. They just hired Stephen Silas as a first-time head coach. You might want to go with a more veteran voice as the, as the number one assistant in that spot. The Hawks could certainly use Nate McMillan, not that they couldn't. He's a valuable and respected guy around the league and everything that I ever heard about him. But, of course, they have the staff in place. They have Melvin Hunt as a, you know, again, a very respected lead assistant under Lloyd Pierce. So we'll see what they ha- what actually happens there. No real analysis for me other than it's obviously not a bad thing. Anyway, should I perform? McMillan is, a, again, a very uh, highly highly rated, high res- highly respected voice around the league. So nothing bad on that one. And we'll see if the Hawks actually end up hiring at McMillan. But that's the latest on Friday evening. Before that... There was a little bit of news with regard to the restart of the season, or at least the start of next season, and uh, a layered approach there. There was some reporting from Sham Sharania with Michelle Roberts, the executive director of the Players Association, on Wednesday, in which Roberts said that the union was not going to be rushed in this process. And then also she said that it, quote, defies common sense, end quote, that the league could start up by December 22nd. And a lot has to happen before then, obviously, but that was pretty noteworthy in my opinion. Um, Shams noted that also the two sides are close on the salary cap and luxury tax reportedly, but the multiple sources that talked to The Athletic said that they were planning on $109 million for the salary cap and $132 million for the luxury tax. Those are unofficial right now, but still, uh, those are actually lower than the projections previously, which isn't a huge surprise, but that might um, sort of restrict the movement a little bit around the league. For what it's worth, actually could be helpful for the Hawks because the Hawks actually have no concerns with those numbers and they might benefit from teams getting desperate to dump salary in theory, but a long time before we get, before we could sort of talk about that in uh, real detail from there. Earlier, earlier in the day on Friday, Mark Stein the New York Times reported that NBA players, quote, may, may only be offered a 50-game season, end quote, if the union insists on a mid-January start rather than the late December proposal. And that the reported reason for that is that leagues, is that the NBA's TV partners, prominently Turner and ESPN, do not want next season to go into the late summer or and or into the Olympics. But 
50 game season would certainly be reduced salary, so I can't imagine players would be thrilled by that. A lot of posturing going on right now on both sides. And frankly, I believe this is me talking now, not reporting that December 22nd is probably the date that is most likely until I hear otherwise. That's not inside info at all by me, but reading the tea leaves, usually money wins out, and I'm guessing that's what's going to happen here. But um, as of Friday night, right now as we record this, nothing has been official or even really updated in full. So we'll keep an eye on that over the weekend, talk about it again next week, but that's the biggest story in the league right now other than the draft, which is, of course, looming in about two and a half weeks. Speaking of the draft, a couple quick, couple quick things there on that. Um, Jonathan Wasserman of Bleacher Report noted that the there are analytics departments around the league that really like Killian Hayes looking into the Pistons and the Knicks. But in that same report from Jonathan, he said that the Kings and the Hawks are potentially interested in Killian Hayes. I would not go go overboard with that one in terms of uh, how much it, how much it actually tells us. But I'm not surprised. You know, Hayes has been someone I've been stressing the entire time has has been on the radar, should be on the radar for the Hawks, etc. And I think he should be an option. I don't think they have to take him necessarily, but certainly a guy that um, they should be considering, and uh, this is encouraging that they actually would be doing so. Nothing really huge there, but I wanted to pass that along. And then the last thing is that Sham Sarania of The Athletic reported that the NBA told teams on Friday that they are now allowed to open practice facilities up for group practices, workouts, and scrimmages up to 10 players at a time. Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN then followed that up and noted that the players have to test negative every day for COVID-19 to participate in team facilities right now. But that's a, that's a pretty big step. That's uh, sort of a ramp-up activity. I'm, I'm not going to tell you that's definitely correlated to the start of the season, but that's a notable change. If you if you didn't know this before, individual workouts have been the order of the day, with the exception of those mini-camp bubbles that the Hawks were allowed to be in. They had, they had one of their own. Everything else the entire time has been individual workouts, basically. So to add group workouts to the, to the mix as an option is noteworthy and something to file away for the future. Okay, that's a little bit of a, more of a news dump than I thought there was going to be on this Friday night, but there you go on that. Nate McMillan, uh, NBA <laughs> schedule talk, workout talk, Killian Hayes talk, all that fun stuff. A reminder before we get to Brian that I've done tons of content already on the NBA draft, including a series that's going on with Brian, in which we've already talked about James Wiseman, Anthony Edwards, etc. I also did a visit with Chad Ford that I'm not sure when that's, when that's going to be airing, but I recorded it already with Chad about the NBA draft. and That'll be on his podcast feed, but I will share it here. Um, also, free agency stuff, I talked to Anthony Irwin earlier in the week, before that, Adam Morris, Greg Wissinger, Fred Katz, all kinds of free agent content as well, so uh, the archive is full, I'll just say that. So if you're a new subscriber, new listener, thank you for listening to the podcast, but go back and check out the archive, There's lots of still relevant information involved and in play there, and download, tell your friends, etc. Okay, before we get to Brian, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is Built Go. Whether it's a mental wall or a physical wall, I can break through it right now with Built Go every single day. And Built Go is a healthy replacement for your energy drink, but energy is anything but fake. Instead, it's both lasting and it's natural. Built Go is easy to take a one and a half ounce packages. You can put it in your briefcase, your golf bag, or your pocket, get you through whatever you're facing today. Built Go is essentially a five hour energy without the same feeling of a crash. Plus, it's natural and it's better for the body as a result. And there are three delicious flavors to choose from and chocolate mint, peanut butter, honey, and chocolate coconut. Bogo is loaded with the good stuff to ignite your work. Listeners to the podcast will perhaps know that I have multiple jobs that I have to tend to on a regular basis. And sometimes a little bit extra to get through the day and the night, but Built Go is a fantastic solution to break through my own wall in order to try it for yourself. Visit BuiltGo.com, use the promo code LOCKED to get 30% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED for 30% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. And with that, a quick reminder that Brian Schroeder and I talked about all kinds of prospects in larger chunks and broke them down into these player-by-player capsules. So just wanted to put that on your radar before you listen to this podcast. 
At any rate, here is Brian and I talking about Obi Toppin. All right, Brian, let's go to uh, Obi Toppin next. Another guy who is, uh, I would say, divisive. There's been lots of positive press on Obi. It's easy to see why in some ways he was the National Player of the Year and deservedly so. He's a great, was, college, he's a great college basketball player. This yeah, he was no... an awesome player. Um, let's be, I, I want to start positive about Obi because we're you and I are both uh, – Skeptic, skeptics well, by nature, the, I think. The <laughs> so, thing with him, the thing that's weird is, is I like Obi. Like I have him in the lottery. I think he's very good. I know people who have him as high as two solely because his offense is so good, and that's what you're getting. Yeah, that, that's what I want to start with because, yes, I, I think ultimately where people uh, sort of diverge on Obi is his defense, but offensively, I've said this too. I, I want to know if you agree. I think his you could you could argue that his offense only is one of the safer sides of the ball, one of the better sides of the ball of any yeah. prospect in the, in the whole class. Like, it's pretty good. I mean, all the way across, I can't see him being a bad offensive player. I really can't. No, I don't think so. Because he's going to, I mean, a lot like uh, Okongwu, if he gets the ball within three feet of the rim, he will dunk. There's just, like, nothing you can do about it. Um, unlike Okongwu, he's a good ball handler and can shoot a little, like, off the dribble. I think yep. he'll be a very good – I think he'll be a solid shooter. Maybe not very good, but I think he will shoot. Uh, we were talking about dunks with the Congo. He had 107 dunks this year. That's a which lot. is just breath. I mean, some some of that's playing in the A10, but still, I mean, that's a lot of dunks. Regardless, but it wouldn't matter who you're, who, about, who was playing against. Yeah, and, and like he's he's maybe the ultimate example of a north south guy. Like he gets north south. He uh, you're not slapping him. If you're not on him as he catches the ball, you're not slapping him. His problem a lot like Wiseman is he can't go. Like he just can't turn, and he no. can't get low on his hips that that, that hurts him offensively too because he can't really create for himself he is a play finisher maybe the ultimate example of it in the draft in the last like six seven years of like maybe bagley's the other one but bagley can dribble a little but like you if you design he's amari stoudemire like he's not gonna be that good but like that's like amari stoudemire was not creating for himself but if you run offense that get that the if you design an offense around him getting the ball in the paint or shooting threes you will be successful I guess actually the the easiest comp is John Collins. That's what like he plays. Well, like it's, it's really funny because I made that point that I think a high end outcome for Obi Toppin is is what John Collins is right now, and that's not I think a shot at Obi Toppin. It's just interesting to me because you know Collins finally made some defensive strides this year. I don't want to go down that road necessarily, but if um. It's it's just really interesting because it's a very natural – I think people think that I'm making it because it's a Hawks reference, and it's really not. I think of everyone that's in the NBA right now, the the best, most obvious comp for Toppin really is John Collins. And yeah. the, the Amari thing is interesting to me because obviously that's a super-duper high-end outcome. Well, that's, that's, but, that's what he was in college, basically. Yeah, I mean, and the whole thing is Amari was uh, – uh, you know, coming out of high school to the NBA and Obi's old and all that stuff. But offensively, that's not a bad comparison. You can really kind of see that. And Amari is like a fringe Hall of Famer. Like it's not like uh, he was an he was an awesome basketball player. Yeah, MVP one year. Yeah, I mean, okay. Here's the thing. You mentioned Obi's finishing and his, his shoot. I think he's a good passer. I think he fills the yeah. game pretty well on offense. There's just a lot to like. Is, like, okay, part of that is the system there they were in too. Really, very really, NBA really, level. Yeah, emphasized ball movement, and he he got with the program. It really helps to run an NBA offense. So shouts to uh, shouts to Dayton for that. Um, I do want to ask what you think his offensive ceiling is because that that's another point. So the biggest pivot point about Toppin is defense. We'll get to, we'll get to that, we'll get to that in a second. But the other one is how good is his offense? Everyone agrees it's going to be good. Is it star level to where you can deal with the bad defense? Is kind of the other question with him. Yeah, the person I know who has him at two. That's basically his argument, which is like he could be like Blake Griffin. 
was, which is like, hey, like Griffin was great. Great if offensive that, player. If that, I mean, if, honestly, for as much as I am skeptical of the defense and as much as I like defense and care about it, I care about it more than everybody else does, if you can, if you can guarantee me or with a reasonable amount of confidence that he's going to be even, even John Collins, much, much less Blake, 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 Blake Griffin or Mario Stoudemire, then that's obviously playing into it. Part of my thing is you don't know that. Like, no, that, that, that's, I, that's, in the, that's in the outcome. But the thing is, he, if, he, if he has to be that good on offense to be really good, that makes it tough for me because I just can't project almost anybody to be that good on offense. Yeah, and I, 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 my concern is this hip stuff, like just not being able to turn, not being able to get low and turn and, and swivel his hips well. And that, that feels like that's just going to – it's not going to let him create off the dribble at all. Despite being like a decent dribbler who can shoot pull-ups, I, I just don't really know how many – how useful that makes him as a self-creator. And if you're not a self-creator, like like Amari is like the, the only guy who was ever like an elite offensive player who wasn't that. But maybe like – I don't want to say Carl Malone, but Malone could create a little bit. I mean, Malone did post-ups. That's creation. It's all, and it's also a different, d- different era. I mean, he's playing in yeah, a different yeah. sport almost. Not, not entirely. So, but I mean, the other thing is about Toppin is that if you don't think he can play center – it's 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 harder it's harder at the four man like the the yeah. the, the bar is a lot higher at the four uh, so if you don't think he can play center and that's a good, i guess I, I guess i'll just ask you can he can he play center on a semi full time basis is that is that even tenable i i, I kind of don't think it is i mean eh, lots of bad defenders play center but yeah like montrez well, is a, but the, but he's center, also but... he's also he's also six nine it's not it's not like he's a seven foot bad defender no like no there's i mean and I'll argue the the one thing I'll say nicely about Toppin's defense is if you put him near the rim, he isn't bad. I think he can he be can jump. He can jump, and he's not weak physically. No, he's, he's strong. He can jump laterally and do some verticality stuff. Like he made some plays defensively. It's just that if you get him in space, and NBA teams are going to get him in space, that's what gets uh, dicey. The more concerning thing is that um, he doesn't seem to know what he should be doing a lot of the time. And the weird thing is he's still kind of a. It's it's the maybe the biggest red flag for him as as far as like a top five guy is that he's still relatively raw bad. Like, he's a redshirt sophomore. He will also – he's also six months younger than John Collins. I was going to say, he's, I mean, that's – the, the age he's thing – He's one day younger than Jason Tatum. Like, he's already in his prime. Yeah, that's – the okay, that's – let's just talk about this now because that's an obvious talking point. We've all talked about it. Um, he's the oldest guy that's a projected first-rounder, basically, unless you get into the, to the other, uh, you know, four-year guys. But he's uh, basically a four-year senior age, and – you know, usually, you know, we talked about DeAndre Hunter being super old, and he's he's older than DeAndre Hunter was. Yeah, um, and, and what, is but, right? but, but, but I think he's still older. Yeah, but he's he's definitely yeah. he was definitely at least a year older at the at the point of the draft. But regardless, how much do you care? Is I guess is my question. Like, is that uh, I'm pretty adamant on not drafting 22 year olds in the lottery, and like, he's like one of the few guys I would, I would give a pass to, just because he is a little bit newer to that's kind of leverage like high leverage basketball. But yeah. Drafting 22, 23-year-olds in lottery almost never works. Like, I don't think it's ever – none of those guys have ever been stars because where do they grow? Like, where do well, they get especially better? lately. I, obviously, I mean, a lot of the time I'll throw that out and somebody will respond with, like, ages of players that were drafted in the 90s. And it's like, guys, yeah, that's not, not how that yeah, works anymore. I mean, if you're, if you're good enough now, you just come out. I mean, there are some exceptions, I suppose, but those are exceptions, not the rule. And the only thing that I can – I'm glad you brought it up because Toppin didn't have this traditional path. He wasn't a four-year guy. If, he'd been, if, he, if he was a four-year college player – it'd be even more red flaggy in terms of like taking so long to break out and all that stuff. There is the argument that, yeah, he's a late bloomer, but he's only a, he's only a two-year college guy, et cetera, but he's still old. And like part of the problem with that, and this is a future facing problem. I get that is that 
once he becomes 27, 28, and he's in the middle of a second contract, that's he's not likely to be as good at 27. And that's yeah. right when his second now, deal, second now deal starts. I, <laughs> I, argue, I argue the opposite of this in favor of Brandon Clark. Brandon Clark had the even more ridiculous and non like extremely nonlinear growth path. And also Brandon Clark is like, was the best defensive player of his generation in high college. And like, and he, well, and he also went, I mean, to the, to the dismay of you and me and other people, he also went what? 21. Yeah. He went, which was, which was absolute insanity. I mean, and if if he had gone and yeah, it's, it's actually a great comparison. They're very different players in every possible way, other than just finishing and stuff like that. But um, it really is interesting to me how little, mainstream buzz there was for Clark and how much there is for Toppin. Well, the strange thing is too, his freshman year at Dayton, he was, I hate, he was a little, he was better this year, but he wasn't like, I'm looking right now. He had almost the same usage, almost like identical. Oh yeah. Effect. His, his, his permanent numbers were very similar from year one. Lower year. Shooting. Like he's a little bit better rebounder, worse assist rate. He shot more threes Slightly and made, and made as many or that's almost really as many. That's really the only difference. Like, yeah. it's just like, interesting. So, <laughs> it was really strange that he had no buzz whatsoever his freshman year because I remember people talking about him like, oh, maybe this guy should go out. Like, he could be drafted. He's interesting. And then it just – I really feel like it's just because Dayton was so good. <clears throat> that was and, part of it. And obviously the numbers too. I mean, just the raw numbers. Anytime you put up what he was able to put up, it gets oh, more yeah. attention. And, and by the way, neither, I think neither of us are saying that he shouldn't have gotten it because he was an awesome college player. He was the AP, oh, AP no, player of the year. Really I awesome. think he was definitely one of the top three players in the, in the country for sure. Yeah, he was very good. And, like um, Dayton was great, and Anthony Grant's a great coach. But like, I, I do feel like because they were so good, and and they don't have, they had no other household names. A lot of people were like, "Oh, it must be because he's so good." But like, Jalen Crutcher is one of the best guards in college basketball. Trey Landers is a really good shooter. Uh, Michigan man E.B. Watson is there, and he's he's <laughs> pretty good. Ryan Mikesell was good. Like they were they were like six seven deep of like good college. Like that was a good team. They could have oh, yeah. made the final. And, you and they were the also very play. well coached too. Like, like like I said earlier, they they were running an NBA level offensive system in the A10, and no one could stop them. And Toppin was yeah, a big part of lost, that, but still, they lost twice, and both were in overtime, and they were to Kansas and Colorado. And you know that Kansas game gets talked about a lot because he wasn't incredible in that game, um, no. and that was by far his best competition level. And he's playing against Yudoka Azubuki, who's like a grown man. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to make too much out of that game, but it's just interesting to me. I guess I have to ask you this now before I forget to. Where are you on the defensive proxy? Because we talked about his hips and not being able to move very well. He's How bad, bad is it? How bad is it? He's, he's, pretty, he's really bad. So I agree with you, and that's the reason I think I've been painted as like super anti-Obi, and that's not necessarily the case. I still would take him in the top 10-ish, maybe top 12. But defensively, man, you have a hard time selling me that it's going to be – Okay, I think I'm not sure who you're talking about. What has him number two? But I know a couple of people that I that I trust that also <clears> think that he could get to passable, and that's why they're all in. And honestly, if you yeah. believe that he can get to passable, that's enough probably. I think but, I know other people who have him in the 20s. So it's just oh no, that, there is a big part. split. It's kind of, it's not as bad as Wiseman, where draft Twitter is just out on Wiseman in a lot of ways. But I know people that I think are again that that I think are smart that just, that just believe that kind of almost doesn't matter how much his defense uh, sorry how much his offense is going to be good if you're as bad as he could be again could be defensively it's tough because you start getting into like this is different position and different player but like there's a reason why Enos Cantor can't play and it's because he Uh, he he could be Cantor level bad and 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 by the way Cantor is a seven footer with like legitimate huge center size and Toppin is a four five tweener I'm not and no one's saying he's going to have to be this bad 
And by the way, he might be better on offense. You know, Cantor is really talented on offense, but there, there's a path for him to be just unplayably bad defensively. And then what is he? I mean, I guess that's, that's the other question I would have for you is what is he in the NBA if the defense is not as bad as it possibly could be, but what's like a 30% outcome for his defense? This is, this is the second time I've, I've used this fan's name disparagingly. He's Bobby Portis. I'm just like, oh, he's not good. I mean, better offensively than Bobby Portis, isn't he? Is he? You know, Bobby Portis hit like eight threes in a game. Like, I know Bobby Portis is talented. I, I actually I actually like Bobby Portis coming out of college. I was wrong about that, I think. Oh, I was, but yeah, I, I, do, I, I do think that Toppin will be better offensively. I don't think he has I mean, how, to be better offensively. How, how, but... playable, how playable is Julius Randle? Okay, that, that's a good comp. And they're, they're different players, but – Randall is a, has defensive issues. Randall's a better athlete in terms of lateral stuff, I think, than Toppin is, maybe. I guess. I mean, by a little. I'm not saying he's good. Uh, but I don't know. Yeah, that, that's actually a scary name to use because everyone knows that Randall puts up numbers. He's put up numbers before. He's gotten paid before. He's not terrible at basketball. But if, he, if you're drafting Julius Randall, knowing what he actually became in, in the top five or six, that's not a good value. I mean, no. it's just not. So yeah, Obi is Obi is benefiting from playing on a great team with a great coach and putting up great numbers. Uh, a, a draft class where there's a lot of guys, like he's another guy who's really easy to explain. It, you just watch like three minutes of highlights of him doing windmill dunks in transition and like <laughs> and painting pin, people's shots to the backboard. It's like oh, that's what he is and hitting well, threes. That's, that's like, the problem. The problem though, honestly, <clears throat> since you brought that up. He's is, not going to be the number one option in the, in the NBA. He's just not going to be. Well, that, okay. and if you think that's, that's definitely uh, – I, I agree with you. The, the problem is – and this is a more broad discussion, but we can, we can have it for a second here. Um, because Toppin is a really explosive vertical athlete with dunks and block shots, people translate, translate that into great athlete and assume that, he, that that will help his defense. And as you, as you said, as I've said, as others have said, he does not have the hip turn. He does not have the slides – he's really got to play drop coverage defensively. And that's not yeah. ideal for a guy who's 6'9". No. He's not DK Metcalf. <laughs> Dick mixed sports. <laughs> we're like... Full or, 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 he's, he's playing a sport where that matters more, I guess. But a lateral stuff matters Yeah, he more. Just, you have to be able to go side to side. And it's not... If he was 7'1", it wouldn't be as big of a deal. I mean, it still matters. But it's not like he has James Wiseman's body where you can just be a drop coverage big and project that way. If you're 6'9", and you have to play drop on defense, that's just really hard to, like, figure out what to do with you. That's, that was the big question about John Collins, and he's gotten a lot better. But even with him getting a lot better, you still hear the questions about his defense. And honestly, I'd be pretty surprised if Toppin was ever as good defensively as Collins was this year. Yeah. Yeah, that would, that would be and Collins is not great defensively still now, but if Toppin was ever that good, it'd be a win. I, I think he, I think he won't be. Honestly, that's that's just my prediction. I'm not saying it's impossible. It's certainly he certainly could get could be that good, but I think Collins is a much better lateral athlete. I really do. And that was the big concern about Collins, yeah. by the way, coming out. I mean, you know that you know this, but people when he was drafted out of Wake, number one, he hadn't showcased the perimeter stuff yet, but he was a god awful defender in college, like awful. Yeah, he was bad. I don't that know. was that was why I. I I knew some people didn't have him on their boards. I mean, I had now, him. I had him lower than the Hawks took him, and I was wrong about that. I think it's, that was obviously a really good pick in retrospect. Yeah, I think it would be a top ten pick now. Yeah. Yeah, but it's um, I don't know. Toppin is, and this is another, this is another one of the things. If you're projecting him to be John Collins, that's great. Except for he's already John Collins' age now, and John Collins just put up 
2010 on elite efficiency and with better defense than Toppin did, you cannot project that, in my view, as a median outcome for, for Obi Toppin. That's too no, no. no. So could, could he do that? Sure. Sure he could. But if you're saying, all right, well, all he's going to be is John Collins, like, nah, man, he's probably going to be worse than that. <laughs> if we're being honest with each other. Like, I don't know. It's just weird to me. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to kill him either because I think, again, going back to where we first started on this conversation, I think he is going to be good, good on offense. I really do. I truly believe that. It's just the defense at that position. It's not like a point guard where you can get by with it. If you're a combo big that really, really, really can't defend, it's, it's tough. He's also it's, – it's the biggest argument in favor of Wiseman is that he has these tools. Yeah. So, like, being toolsy – like, Mike Urbanaugh has been going on that, on that for a few months now. Toolsiness in bigs is, like, the most important attribute for, like, projecting. And Obi's just not that toolsy. He's not – well, He, he can jump, like but he has to load up. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just not um, – doesn't have long arms he's skilled i i I, kind of wish honestly that he was 6 11 with long arms or something so he would be a center prospect because that's the thing about him is that it's just really hard to be that role on offense and also not be able to play the five on defense and it's that's oversimplifying it but it's also not it's just maybe if you paired him with damn it would be good it would be good but or you pair him with like a super duper um I mean, a Kong would be good if you actually if you could just get him. <laughs> yeah, if you had someone who's an elite defender at center, that's either Rudy Gobert or, you know, prime Draymond. Then sure, but other than that, it's it's really hard. The other option is the Pelicans taking him and just putting together the greatest offensive front court in the NBA. Yeah, just not care about the anymore. Yeah, just giving up like uh, forty-five points a game at the rim or something. Well, I'm sure you saw this, but uh, he he's been linked to the Wolves. Can you imagine him and him and Talents playing defense together at the four and five? I'm sure that's just them doing their their due diligence. It would I, be I agree. It's it's just kind of well, funny, but it, don't worry. They, they would have they would have uh, ace defender D'Angelo Russell to really. Show well, I was gonna, I was going to say speaking speaking of the all offense lineup, if you if you trotted out um, Russell Toppin and uh, and Towns as your one four and five, that would have to be the off, offense lineup. Malik Beasley, and then uh, and then bring back uh, just make Jarrett Culver defend. For I was people. gonna say at, at, at that point you, you kind of just have to trade Culver and Okogi and just give up on defense entirely, like just just punt and try to score one fifty a game. Anyway, um, that's probably enough on on top. Oh, last thing I want to ask you before we get out of here on top, and um, I think I know the answer to this, but you wouldn't draft him at six if you were the Hawks, would you? No, but I th- I wouldn't be completely against the idea. I don't know. It really depends on what how the how the first the first five shakes out. Well, and, and for me, and I wonder if you. If you I'd be very into now. There's no way this happens because he's very popular. But if if like somehow, it, like you knew, he's gonna be available for like the Celtics picks. I would maybe trade whoever you took to them if they wanted them. Like say they Celtics want Killian. Do that and then get them. but that's that's not gonna happen because there's no way he makes it to fourteen. No, he he may he may be, he, he may be gone by six. I mean that's yeah, that's he, in play he probably for will. sure. That's sound, what sort it of sounds like. Yeah. Um and also this is a point that I made before, but I think the only way it makes sense, and I still wouldn't argue for it necessarily, but the only way it makes sense to me to draft Toppin is if you were going to trade John Collins or you already have. Yeah. If you if you're not going to trade John Collins, I just I don't see a reason, and I would not try to do that anyway. But like, what's the point of if, if you're planning on paying John Collins on a big extension? What's the point of drafting Obi Toppin behind him? That doesn't make sense to me. All right, this is Brad coming to you in post production to wrap up today's podcast, and we'll have much much more with myself and Brian talking about NBA draft prospects in the future. So go ahead and subscribe now to make sure you get that podcast 
whenever it drops into your phone, tablet, etc. Please follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roll and follow Brian's work at Cosmos on Twitter as well as uh, on his Patreon page. Subscribe, do all that fun stuff, and we will see you next time.